0: In case you don't know, this is—we can't stand too close together. I understand that. In case you don't know, this is Chris Schmidt's father, and it's a pleasure to have him here. They were discussing uh, things coming up on Skype uh, last night, I believe it was, and uh, Chris said to Richard, uh, "Well, you ready for tomorrow?" And he said, "Tomorrow." And there was this pause which said everything. (laughs) Indeed. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Yeah, that's not all he said to me either. He, uh, I said, you got any words of wisdom for me? And he said, yeah, don't mess up. I I have a reputation um, down there to protect. And I said, not anymore. It it is always just a joy for Judy Senior and uh, me to be with you. Now, the reason the reason that I'm saying Judy Senior uh, is because Judy Junior is here from Colorado. Now, Judy Junior is my youngest son David's wife, and she's she's been here for the weekend. She came in to. Uh, uh, help with a baby shower for one of her best friends, which is fitting seeing as seeing as how Judy is now starting the second trimester of, of, uh, of her pregnancy. Uh, so little Colin, their son is five years old. He, he said, um, he wants a sister. Uh, my grandson Ryan said he ought to rethink that, <laughs> but, uh, so so, uh, we're we're glad to have have Judy Junior and Judy Senior. My life is filled with Judys. And my my late sister was a Judy. Judy Junior's mother's name, her late mother, was Judy. I'm married to a Judy. <laughs> Gives a whole new meaning to Judy Judy Judy, <laughs> in, in in my life. Now, Chris is up in Wilmore, Kentucky. He wants everybody down here to believe that he is working hard and studying. So at the count of three, I want you to give a big shout-out. Hi, Chris, so he'll know you're here, okay? One, two, three. Hi, Chris. All right, there you go, son. And I'll I'll do my best not to make life too hard for you when you come back. We're going to begin this morning with uh, the first of two studies in the covenant that God enacts with us through Jesus Christ. This is, I think, such a fun study to do as we consider just what the covenant is. I would venture to guess that every one of us here has a a definition of of what a covenant is is and how it works. But I wonder if it, it falls in line with God's, God's words. So that's what we're going to study. So I, I open to the book of Hebrews, the 8th chapter, beginning in the 8th verse, and we read, "...the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel." and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. that's, That's a very important verse right there. It will not be like that old covenant because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us bow in prayer. Father... Prepare our minds and hearts now for this message uh, that you have given me to bring. May I be your servant and uh, speak through me, I pray, in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Covenant. It's, it's, a word we, it's a word we hear, it's a word we think we know, but is it is our understanding the way God operates and the way God's covenant works. So to begin to illustrate, I want to tell you a story about a ship sailing at sea and uh, it's at night and the watch on the bridge sees a light off in the distance and he calls the skipper and the skipper sees the light and he call, the skipper calls the radio man and he says, send, send this message. Request you alter your course 10 degrees north. And so the radioman sends the message, and this reply comes back Request you alter your course 10 degrees south. Well, that did not sit well with the captain. He was not used to being told what he ought to do. So he says to the radioman send this message. Order you to alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a captain. And he gets this response back. Respectfully request you alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a third-class petty officer. Well, now the captain is furious. His eyes are bugging out. Smoke is coming out of his ears. Tells the radio men, send this message. Absolutely, firmly order you to alter your course 10 degrees north. You blockhead, I am a battleship. And the reply comes back, sir, respectfully ask you to alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a lighthouse. I want to suggest to you that that is often the kind of idea that we bring to our definition of a covenant. In other words, you do something, I do something, and if we both do it right, we get benefits out of it, and if one of us does it wrong, then the other covenant partner is going to come down on us because we didn't hold up our part of the bargain. And I really wonder whether that is what God's concept of a covenant is. Obviously, I think it's not. When Chris came to be your pastor in January of 09, under Pastor Don's wonderful leadership, his first Sunday here, there was a covenant service held. Many of you were here then and participated. And in that covenant service, some of us were privileged to gather around Chris and lay hands on him and promise to do our part as the family of God, and, and he promised to do his part as our pastor. And so we covenanted together. Very much, I want to tell you, like that ship going back and forth as to you know, what, what one should do and what the other should do. But I want to suggest that in our study this week and next week that God's covenant is very, very different. God doesn't operate the way we think he ought to. When I was in the Navy, I was stationed for three of my four Navy years over at Port Canaveral. Uh, Lived at Patrick Air Force Base in Cocoa Beach. Tough, tough duty. Really tough. (laughs) Drove up and down A1A and passed what was then the Cocoa Beach Methodist Church because the union between Evangelical United Brethren and the Methodist Church had not yet taken place. What little contact I had with the church when I was growing up in Catskill New York, I had with a Methodist church, and so one Sunday I decided I would attend services. And I did, and I thought I would sit in the back pew where nobody would know me. I'd sneak in and sneak out. I no sooner set foot on the property than a lady saw me. She said, Oh, you're new. And the next thing I knew, I was in a Sunday school class, and that began part of my journey into faith. I got to know some of the wonderful people in that church. They literally loved me into the family of God. They're just like you. As Judy and I have come to be a part of this congregation since Chris has been here, we have felt very much loved and very much a part. But I want to tell you that as I began to grow in faith, what I was told was the good news at first didn't seem like good news. It really seemed like bad news. Be, because I became aware that, that at least for some people, Christianity was a long list of do's and don'ts. If If I did, if I conformed, if I followed through on the things that I was supposed to do, then I would be a good Christian, or so I thought. But I soon found out that I was not very good at keeping the Ten Commandments. I was not really very good at measuring up to what I thought a Christian ought to be, so that's why I say that at first the good news seemed like bad news. But then i got to find out through bible study and prayer with people in the church that my concept was wrong and that being a follower of christ didn't have much to do with what i did but it had a whole lot to do with what god had already done in jesus christ and very gradually for me the bad news began to turn into the good news. And I began to learn about the covenant that God had made with us through Christ. And that's where our study takes us. So in order to understand that covenant, we we have got to go back into time and take a look at the Hebrew blood covenant if I enter into a Hebrew blood covenant with Pastor Don or with John or, or, or with anybody, there are some things that I have to do, that we have to do. And the first thing we would do is we would take off our coats and we would exchange them. We would give them to each other. And, and, and what that signifies is that I am giving to my covenant partner everything that I am. That's what my coat symbolizes And we find that in in the New Testament, too, where Paul writes about taking off the old man and putting on the new man. And so by, by exchanging coats, I am saying to my covenant partner, I am giving you myself. Everything that I am is now yours. And, of course, he is saying that to me. Now, the second thing we would do is we would take off our belts now, don't worry, our pants are not going to fall down. Because the belt back then didn't hold up your pants. The belt held your weapons, your knife and whatever. And so by taking my belt off with my weapons on it and giving it to my covenant partner, I'm saying all my ability to fight is yours. All my strength, all my power is, is yours. Anybody touches you, they touch me. And he's saying that back to me. Now the third thing we do in enacting a covenant, a Hebrew blood covenant, and this is yucky, you take an animal, and you split it in half, and you walk through the pieces. Yuck. And so you sit there and you say, why? Well, The symbolism of it is, is that what we are saying to each other is as that animal has died to symbolize this covenant, so I am willing to die for the covenant you and I are about to make. That's a rather very vivid symbol of the covenant. And then we would would cut our, our fingers or our wrists and mingle the blood. How many of you had a blood brother or a blood sister when you were grown up and did that? Okay, now you know where that comes from. See, today we just shake hands. It's much more dignified. It's a lot less painful. And if you're wearing a white shirt, you know, it doesn't get messy. Then we would exchange names. Uh, if, if Don... Pastor Don and I were going to enter into the covenant, uh, I would take his name and I would become Richard Burkhart Schmidt. And he would become Don Schmidt Burkhart. Symbolizing that even though there are two separate people within the terms of the covenant, we are one. And then the last thing we would do is we would enact a meal together. And significantly, that meal would be of bread and wine. Hmm. Sound familiar? Now, sometimes we would raise a monument where we had enacted the covenant. In 1 Samuel 18, Jacob and Laban start a covenant. They do a covenant together. And they enact a, a, a monument, and they put a sign on the monument, and that sign says, Misvah. M-I-S-P-A-H, Misvah. That sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Misvah. My mother used to write that on the bottom of her letters to me. Mispah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another. As I said, it sounds so holy, so spiritual, until you know what's behind it. (laughs) Jacob and Laban, who enacted the covenant together, even after the covenant was enacted, did not trust one another. And so really what they were saying when they enacted the monument and put miswah on it, what they were really saying was God I don't trust this clown to keep the covenant that we just made, so you watch over him and be sure that he keeps it. I've often wondered why my mother would put that on her letters. (laughs) Well, anyhow, that's how you enact a Hebrew blood covenant, and that is part of the foundation of what we need to understand as we take a look at the covenant God makes with us through Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at it in action. In 1 and 2 Samuel, we meet three very important characters. The first character we meet is named Saul, King Saul. King Saul is characterized by an aversion to doing God's will. Whatever God's will was, Saul did the opposite. In fact, if we could get him up here today and we could say, Saul why did you do the things you did? He probably would look at us and say, well, I was just doing my thing. He was from southern Israel. <laughs> I was just doing my thing. And, and whatever God wanted Saul to do, Saul, Saul, did, Saul did the opposite. He, he just had a hard time being God's man. That's the first character. Second character we meet is David. Now, David is the opposite of Saul. In fact, in the scriptures, David is characterized as a man, what? After God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. That's David. Now, you're sitting out there and you're saying, now, wait just a minute. It seems to me that there was this woman in David's life, uh, Bathsheba, I think, and she was married to a man named Uriah, and David, David's actions toward Uriah and towards Bathsheba were pretty shady. So, Richard, how can you stand up there and tell us that David was a man after God's own heart. And I said, well, first of all, it's not my phrase. It's the Bible's phrase. But second of all, the reason is because whenever David sinned, whenever he, he turned his back on God, he was quick to turn around and come back to God with a contrite heart, seeking God's forgiveness for the sins that he had committed. That's why David can be characterized as a man after God's own heart. Now, David and Saul are at opposite ends. And when Saul saw David, he hated him. And and Saul would tell his family, we've got to kill David before David has the opportunity to kill us. And Saul chased David through the wilderness if you remember your Old Testament stories. And on more than one occasion, David stood over Saul when Saul was sleeping. David had a spear in his hand, and David could have, if he wanted to, right? But he didn't. Why? Because David was not the man that Saul said he was. Third character we meet is named Jonathan. Jonathan. Saul's son. Absolutely a part of Saul's family, and he absolutely doesn't belong there. Why? Because Jonathan loved God. It is impossible for David and Saul to enter into covenant together. Oil and water do not mix. But when David and Jonathan met, they knew they could go into covenant together. And in 1 Samuel 18, that's exactly what they do. They enter into a covenant together that even their unborn children are heirs to. And that is very, very important to keep in mind. That the covenant was not only for David and Jonathan. It was also for their own heirs. So now they've got this covenant. They, The years go by and Jonathan has a son. Our son's name, or his son's name, is Mephibosheth. Now practice that three or four times. Mephibosheth. He is... Jonathan's son, he is a part of Saul's family. The time comes when Jonathan and Saul go out to do battle and they are killed. Word goes back to Mephibosheth's family and those who were caring for the little prince of their deaths. And when they found out that their protectors, Jonathan and Saul, had been killed, only one thing went through their mind. We've been told all this time that David is going to get us if he can. We have only one recourse. We've got to run. So that's exactly what they do. They start packing things up. They went out and bought some boxes, rented a U-Haul, backed it up, started filling it up, they had to get out of town quick. The nurse scurries in, picks up five year old Prince Mephibosheth, starts running with him, and drops him. And Mephibosheth becomes crippled, and he never walks again. The entourage heads out to the wilderness to a place called Lo Debar low to bar and that's where they stay that's where they encamp that's where they plot against david because they believed all of the news that they had been told over the years that if david gets a chance he's going to kill you they didn't know the truth they didn't know that david was not what saul said he was Time goes by. Mephibosheth grows. David finds out where Mephibosheth is hiding and he sends for him. Now, what that really means is he sent the troops. And the troops show up on his doorstep one day and Mephibosheth goes, Oy vey, I am, I am, I, I, I am in trouble. And the troops say, Mephib, come with us. The reason they said Mephib was because they couldn't say Mephibosheth either. (laughs) So they take Mephibosheth back, and and now he is cowering before David. He's sure that the next words he's going to hear from David's mouth is off with his head. And David looks at him and he says... Welcome. You've you, you got to be thinking from Mephibosheth's point of view. Say what? Welcome? Welcome, Mephibosheth. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here. You are to be given all of the benefits of the covenant that I have made with your father, Jonathan, all those years ago. And 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 Mephibosheth can't believe his ears, and and he looks at David and he says, "What you can't do that, David. I, I'm like a dead dog. They they threw dead dogs on the garbage heap, and so when Mephibosheth said I'm I'm, I'm like a dead dog, he, he he meant that that's all he was good for. And David says, Mephibosheth, I I know that, but but." everything that I want to give you is already part of the covenant I made with your dad. And Mephibosheth says, yeah, but, but I haven't done anything to earn it. I'm, I'm not good enough. If you knew all of the ways in which we were plotting to kill you, you'd kill me. And, and David says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because I made a covenant with your dad. And we shed blood for that covenant. And you are an absolute heir to that covenant. So take it and receive it. It's yours. Now, Mephibosheth has to make a decision. And you, you'd sit there and you'd say, well, it doesn't sound like much of a tough decision to me. But what Mephibosheth has to decide is whether or not he's willing to die to that old life out in Lodibar Debar. Whether he's willing to die to that old self and come alive to the new self in David's family. And that's not an easy decision because all this time his head has been filled with lies. And he really is not sure that David is the man that he seems to be. Now, here's the point. I very easily find myself in Saul's family. I very, very easily find myself in Saul's family. I I don't want to keep the Ten Commandments. I don't want to do the thing God wants me to do. I'd much rather do my own thing. I'd rather go my own way. Thank you very much. But... There is a member of our family who is just like Jonathan except our Jonathan's name is Jesus. You see, Jesus enacts the covenant on our behalf with God the Father. Just like Mephibosheth was in Jonathan. You and I are in Jesus. And he was referred to as the Son of Man. In fact, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. And he was very much a part of our family, and yet he was God. Absolutely God, unquestionably God, always was God. And Jesus enters into covenant with the Father on our behalf. Why do you think the night before he was crucified, he took the disciples to the upper room and he broke the bread and he shared the cup and he said to them, this is my new covenant. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood that has been shed for you. As often as you share in this, remember me and remember that this is the new covenant. The old one has passed away and the disciples never asked a question. The one time I had wished they had asked what it was all about, they didn't. Why? Because they knew what it was about. Oh, they didn't know what it was going to cost them. But they knew what Jesus was about to do. So, the new covenant has come. The old covenant has passed away. And we are heirs of the new one. But we didn't know that. We were still hiding out in the wilderness HIDING OUT IN LOW DE BAR. WE WERE ANGRY AT THE PERSON WHO SHARED CHRIST WITH US. WE WERE ANGRY THAT WE SOMEHOW FOUND OUR WAY IN CHURCH. WE WERE ANGRY AT THE PREACHER FOR THE MESSAGE. WE WERE ANGRY AT THE SUNDAY SCHOOL TEACHER. WE WERE JUST PLAIN' OLD ANGRY. BUT THEN THE HOLY SPIRIT GOT TO US. AND WE BEGAN TO LEARN THAT AT FIRST WHAT WE THOUGHT WAS THE BAD NEWS REALLY WAS GOOD NEWS. And we began to understand the new covenant that we were privileged to be heirs to. Somewhere along the line, like Mephibosheth, we looked at God and we said, but God, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. God says, yeah, Richard, I know that. Yeah, but but God, you you don't know the things I've done. Yeah, Richard, I know the things you've done. Yeah, but 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 God, you you can't you can't do it for me. Uh, and God says, already did. Already did. Did it in the covenant that I made on your behalf with my son Jesus. And receive it then. Not because of what you did but because of what he did. So I, I, I close this first part of the study with, with this story. And you've heard it before. You've seen it on, 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 on uh, uh, cards. You've probably given it to people. But it's a perfect illustration of what we've been talking about. It, it, it's, it's called Footprints. Man walking along the beach, walking with the Lord. They're conversing. The man looks back and he sees two sets of footprints in the sand. And they continue on and he looks back, and suddenly there's only one set of footprints. And he looks back, and now there's two. And he looks back again and there's only one. And he's scratching his head because he doesn't understand. And he says to the Lord, Lord, when when, when I came to you, you promised you would always be with me. You'd always walk beside me. And yet I look back and there are times I only see one set of footprints. What gives? And the Lord says, yeah, those times you see one set of footprints are the times in your life of turmoil and tragedy and sorrow and grief and upheaval. And don't you know that during those times, I carried you. That's what the covenant is all about. Being carried, not because we're strong enough, not because we're worthy enough, not because we're good enough, but because we are heirs. Man, aren't you glad to be a kid of the covenant? I sure am. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for the words that are in the old covenant that help us understand the new one. And thank you for this opportunity to celebrate, to sing your praises, and to share in the good news that Perhaps at first we thought was not so good, but now we understand. Bless us, Lord, as we get washed out of this place into the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say it, Amen.